Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, John Robleski. John, what's going on, man? This is uh, very exciting. Usually I've got bloggers and journalists on and other media members, and, and now that we have a, a member of the uh, of the coaching fraternity, I'm really excited to uh, to chat with you. Yeah, great uh, great being here, Dimitri. I'm a big fan of uh, of your Twitter feed, and uh, it's always, <laughs> always touch and go with you. You, you kind of... You kind of get your jabs in, and it's uh, it's well timed, and so it's uh, I'm, I'm expecting uh, expecting a good a good uh, you know 45 minutes to an hour here. It'll be well, fun. I'm really I never know how to take it. Whenever I like meet someone, or if I'm out at a bar or something, and someone goes up to me, he's like, "Oh man, like I love your Twitter feed." I never know if it's like a compliment or it's like an insult. Like uh, uh, being funny online isn't necessarily like the best quality in the world. No, no, and I think um, you know it's you're teetering on the. On the line of sarcasm as your as your primary crutch, I think is uh, it doesn't always come come across on the uh, on the internet. So I think you know you have to be around people that speak kind of speak that same language and appreciate it. And you know I'm not I'm not averse to a little little sarcasm and some uh, and you know kind of some you know backhand comments here and there. I think it's I think it's pretty good. And I, I think your insight on top of it uh, kind of ties it all together. So uh, that's you know. Just, uh, just a kind of a somebody's uh, observations from the outside. Well, that's why I'm really excited to have you on because I know you and I have talked in the past o- offline before, and, and I think uh, we can have a fun, productive conversation here. I'm going to pitch some ideas to you. It's it's kind of the perfect uh, off season summer show because we're not really going to be talking about sort of present day movement or free agency or players, the draft or anything like that. And I just kind of wanted to, um, you know, I've been having certain ideas circulating in my head. I'm always kind of looking at different sports and trying to figure out how we can refine hockey where we can find competitive advantages sort of what we can do with some of this stuff and you obviously as a coach um would be the perfect person for me to bounce some of these ideas off of because if there's anyone that can actually take some of this stuff from sort of just being kind of fantasy land pipe dreams in my head to actually getting practical on ice real real life application for it it would be a coach so i'm really excited and i appreciate you indulging me i know that sometimes coaches get a bad rap for sort of being uh, a bit overly conservative or stuck in their ways or or trying to squeeze all the fun out of hockey as possible, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll we'll hopefully we'll have some fun doing this uh, doing this podcast together. Yeah, right. and I think you know it's a, we're a unique uh, entity at the NTDP where it's you know it really is a melting pot of experimentation where you know we're not we're not stuck and we're not we're not rooted into the 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 product on any given Friday and Saturday night for for instance it's um, you know much much more about trying to trying to, you know, d- take a dip a toe in the water and see, see what, uh, you know, what, what the temperature is on, on being able to uh, develop the athlete and develop the brain on the, on the hockey player. And so it's, you know, we're, we're in a unique position where if something doesn't work, if there's uh 
you know, if there's not a drill that uh, that, that doesn't uh, or, or some type of thought process that that doesn't pan out, we're 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 pretty quick to be able to uh, adjust on the fly, and we've you know we've got time. Like whereas other teams, I think their their practice hours are, are limited. We're we're unlimited with our practice time, and so we you know there's there, there's room for mistakes and room for experimentation. Well, and that's an interesting point because I think you know sometimes uh, people like myself can get a bit frustrated with how uh, set in its ways the NHL can be or sort of how traditional it can be, and and I, it makes sense. I sort of I, I get where coaches are coming from because you know there's so much on the line, obviously both financially but also in terms of other people's careers but also it's like you're typically dealing with you know veteran players in their 30s that have been playing a certain way for two decades now and it's like trying to completely uh change things and flip it on its head and and try new crazy things uh might not necessarily be more conducive but for you uh dealing with the junior junior program and, and and developing young players do you uh, what, what kind of balance are you trying to strike there from like a perspective? Because I'm sure in the back of your head, you're obviously trying to do the best job possible to prepare a lot of these younger players for whatever the next stage of their career is and sort of equip them uh, in the best way possible so that they'll be able to make that transition smoothly. But at the same time, you are sort of, you know, selfishly, personally trying to also creatively try some stuff and sort of uh, spread your wings as well. Like what's that kind of balance like as, as a coach dealing with such young players? Well, you know, we've, we've got a pretty good blueprint over here, um, where, you know, our, our drills are, you know, they're centered around creativity, uh, speed, power. Um, very rarely do you ever, um, come across a drill where you're, you know, say for instance, working on neutral zone four check. And, and if you ever see, um, 10 players on the ice, it might be the day before a game. But other than that, it's, it, that's a rarity for, and even then, uh, to see, to see 10 players is, um, it is an anomaly. So, uh, with that, you know, there's, there's also a lot of inspiration. And so what we'll do is we'll set up drills where, uh, it'll evolve from a two on one into a three on two into possibly a four on three. Um, you know, something, something like that all within a, a 25 to 30 second window. Um, and players will run different routes in those drills. And, and there's kind of, there's a lot of different items that'll, that'll kind of show them, show their face within. And, uh, that it's, it, for us, it's, it's always a two way street in regard to, uh, the development process. And while we, while we do set the template and there's been a, a lot of, a lot of fine coaches that have come through the program to help that, um, to help that process out, it really is the players that I think, um, you know, benefit and, and from each other and really give us the inspiration to, to create new, new drills or to add different wrinkles. And of course, uh, it, it, you heard it numerous times. Uh, from the NTD players that were drafted this year that, uh, you know, how much, how much better they got in practice going against their peers. And I think that's the, the most important thing that we set up is that our country's best players are, I guess, um, the ones that are deemed the, the most promising for an NHL career uh, at the time of the selection process uh, get to go against each other and they're constantly having to either you know catch up to somebody or leapfrog an individual if they want to uh, you know you know displace themselves or, or, or get a, uh, a higher recognition in the in, within the hierarchy. Well, it's also such a, a high leverage point in a player's sort of developmental arc, right? Because like when you get a guy already in the NHL, especially now that we know that players' peaks are maybe younger than we would have thought otherwise before, and it's like generally in your early 20s is when you're at your physical peak and then you start also maturing mentally and you really put it all together. Whereas when you're dealing with teenagers and guys who haven't been drafted yet, there's still, like you, you were mentioning how sort of the selection process and players that get sort of tabbed or identified as the most promising for that future career career i imagine there's also been countless cases where like a guy comes in and you would have thought he would have lived up to the hype and it goes the other way or players that suddenly take massive steps whether they grow a lot or whether they physically improve or what happened whatever have have you that you kind of suddenly go oh i didn't even think we had this in this player so i imagine it also is such like a high leverage point in their careers to be dealing with them yeah, and it's uh, there, there's definitely surprises both ways, but I think that um, you know we're, we're we're getting better and better. I think every year in regard to um, you know our selection process and what we what we see in the future, and um, you know you can look you can look back at a, at guys who 
who weren't selected and um, you know when had really good uh, whether whether it was prep or, or junior careers and you said well this is you know why we didn't select him and you look back and you're like it made sense at the time and you know it, uh, it, it all goes with you know having a, having a really strong fraternity that of of, uh, of managers and and coaches that you know bank off of each other and um, can reference to each other about uh, about about the you know the different the different ways and methods that we uh, that we select and uh, and develop do you have a do you have any sort of uh i mean this can be a tough question because i, I haven't given you any uh prep for it or it's, sometimes it's tough to kind of evaluate yourself but i always like to ask people like do you have any personal like kind of tendencies or preferences for certain skill sets or player types whether it's you know a, a more of a speed game a puck moving defenseman a playmaker a natural goal scorer like is there any sort of like physical traits or um specific player types that you found over time that you even subconsciously a little bit kind of gravitate towards or prefer well, you know, besides the guys that stand out, so, you know, the guys that are obviously elite at, at a number of different facets, say it's Alex Turcotte. Well, you don't, everybody falls in love with Turks, you know, or, uh, you know, Zegris, you know, his, his prowess in a few different areas. You don't have, you don't really have to, uh, you have to go very far. I mean, almost anybody can walk into a rink and pick those guys out, but, you know, kind of the defining, um, it, it characteristic of a of a successful class at the NTDP is is to make sure that you're rounding out the class with players that you think are going to be agreeable within the structure that you already have. So, like you got you need to take your five or six players that you're ready to kind of build around. Um, whether it's you know a, a couple of couple of center icemen, we were benefit beneficiaries of having three elite center icemen. Um, you know, with Zegras, uh, Turcotte, and Hughes, you can start to kind of piece players in around those guys and so um as far as rounding out the class is concerned uh, i'm always looking for players that you know are that exhibit a a high hockey high hockey iq and i think for forwards for for me the number one thing is that you're able to go and you'll be able to make plays with your back to the puck um, when there's when there's two players coming at you, you know you're out, and and it doesn't have to be as simple as you know making the saucer pass through guys' skates because I feel like those are those are physical attributes that of course we value, but it's it's knowing knowing where to place pucks when when uh, in, in situational uh, adversity and being able to um, you know be, knowing the next play and being able to make plays that that uh, that the, the guy around you might not be able to make and be able to show that consistently. Um, I feel like if you if you if you place a bunch of guys around around your uh, your main core that can that re- they won't take anything away from them, um, you know, with a sure stick and and a high hockey IQ, uh, we what we'll do with that 15 year old kid or what we'll attempt to do is to round out athletic, their athleticism accordingly. And so, if they're not a great skater at that time, um, maybe if they're not, you know, say like Matt Boldy is only only five ten and 160 pounds when we select them, you see the elite stick. You see the the brain and what you in you know in the creativity and you say that all right that kid he's it, it might not work out if he doesn't grow but you could you'll look at yourself in the mirror and say um, we made the right call in our in within our circle because we're looking at that at that type of player and so you know I, I guess um, you know it's something we got to make sure we don't get too enamored with because at the end of the day you watch um, where where games are ultimately won and lost or in the trenches and so you have to have to make sure you're not ignoring the, the power forwards and the guys like you know um, that you know use Brady Kachuk as an example for right. that who you know was such an abrasive player and um, you know didn't uh, didn't show the, the the prowess that he had at the uh, at the time when he at the selection camp you know he was taking on potential and um, everything else there and you know so it, it, there's there's got to be a balance to your uh, to your attack and you can't just go for the uh, for the players that uh, you know might might show the brain and the stick, and you, you need to make sure you you know you have, you've got some got some grit and some brawn to go along with it. So those are you know it's it's a it's a long it's a long winded <laughs> answer, but it's right. a very it's a very you know involved um, situation to, to try to, to try to you know control and and also one where you know you're at the whim of of the class. So it's you know it, it, it's a very uh, lot of layers to it and. Um, you know, one that we 
uh, we take very, very seriously because we, you know, those those spots are so valuable for for a lot of different reasons. Well, the the concept of hockey IQ is such a fascinating one to me. It's so interesting because it's like, you know, with other actual sort of physical, tangible qualities, whether it's speed or, or size or physicality or or passing or shooting, like you can very sort of visibly quant like kind of quantify those, and everyone mm-hmm, has the mm-hmm. same working definition depending on what your scale of it is. But with hockey IQ, it is one of those things. Where it's like I always think of it as you sort of know it when you see it in terms of a guy just always in the right position at the right time. The puck seems to be chasing them. They're sort of anticipating stuff before it happens. And then conversely, a guy who might be kind of struggling in that area typically seems to be sort of chasing the player always one step behind. Do you have a sort of um, kind of more concrete, tangible definition of what that actually entails or what you're looking for when you're identifying that scale? Or is it is it really just one of those kind of like everyone has their own definition, but you sort of can agree on that when you see it, you know exactly what it is? I mean, I, I like to use the reference point of, of a player going into a corner for a puck and whether it's an offensive guy or defensive guy and you've got your back to the play. And do you make an educated play? Do you make it? Do you make the smart release? And do you can you find your teammates uh, in those scenarios? It's it's um, you know, and I think I think there's a, a lot of it. You know, that's a that's a knack in our game. And there's there are areas of hockey IQ you can be taught, uh, but there you know the, the the really smart players know how to how to fill lanes and they know um, they're, they're, you know, they're adept and, and, uh, and, and ready and, and, you know, sturdy on their defensive zone coverage. If they, uh, they'll balance out for their teammates. If, you know, that's a center iceman with a high hockey IQ and their, their winger goes back and, you know, kind of over back checks a play. Well, he'll instinctively just slide right into that winger spot. Um, and those are, those are things that, you know, you're processing the game and, uh, while it's being played at such a high pace, you're you're still aware and cognizant at, at certain times of the of the contest of of what your what your job is. It's being able to think on the fly and manipulate that that's you know that beautiful game that's fly, that's that's going at a, at a, a torrid pace when you're down at ice level. I know, like when you you start breaking things down on video and um, you watch a game uh, either, at the arena if it's a, you know above the above the first bowl and even even really you know that first first ten seats up, you really can't appreciate the speed until you get down to ice level uh, with how with how fast those guys are moving and how dangerous it is out there. I mean, it, those those guys can you know they're massive massive men and. It, really any level it's it's all it's all comparative uh you know to uh to, to the level you're at but it's it's still a very very dangerous sport out there and um one that you know it's it, to be able to process uh the game and and uh and you know keep yourself out of harm's way and also make plays is, is really really impressive that um you know at, for those guys at the, at the highest levels in particular yeah no that's uh that's well said okay let's get into i've got a couple of these ideas that i want to run by you so uh here's a yeah, question man. here's a question for you so do you remember uh um, when's the earliest you can ever remember pulling a goalie in a game? Oh, I did it in, in the ECHL. It was, uh, I think it was my third, fourth game as head coach. And we were, we were playing terribly, um, it, it down, but, but only down a couple of goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was against the Greenville, uh, road warriors was the name of the team at the time. Now that's swamp rabbits. And, uh, um, I think it was seven minutes left is when I, when I pulled them and we didn't get scored on the whole time. But I also, that, let me, let me track again. It was my first year in the ECHL. We were playing terribly, terrible against South Carolina. We were down four goals in the, in the second period, three or four goals in the second period, went on the, uh, one of the power play with like 30 seconds left in the second. Uh, and I was like, let's, let's do this. Like, let's, let's try to, let's try to get one here in the last 30 seconds. And they scored right off the face off on that one. But, uh, <laughs> those are the, those are the two that I can, I can remember, uh, you know, pulling them, pulling them very early. Well, so the reason why I ask, I, I, a, a while back, uh, a listener emailed about this, and I can't, I couldn't find it, so I can't give them credit. But if you're listening, um, you'll know who you are. But uh, so they kind of pose a question of, you know, the, obviously we think back to like Patrick Waugh, most notably during his time of the Avs, yeah, was doing yeah, it with like yeah, 10 yeah. minutes left or whatever, and everyone was like freaking out, like that's crazy. But I was thinking, so obviously there's a time and place, and it's situational, and you wouldn't necessarily have like a a, a defined sort of cutoff line. We do know that research has shown that sort of from a, a numbers perspective you're better off doing it sooner rather than later because you give yourself a yep. horrible fighting chance and, and we know that and so it, it ultimately comes down to having a feel for your team and how you're playing and sort of what your chances are but i was thinking like 
in theory, as you get closer to the final buzzer, even if it's three minutes left or so, the other team is sort of at least kind of in the back of their minds, bracing for it or preparing for themselves or, or the opposing coach is sort of thinking, okay, we want to sort of cover our bases by making sure we have certain players out there to protect ourselves against that potential threat. I was thinking like, let's say there's, I don't know what the earliest would be. Let's say there's 14 minutes left in the third period and you're down three or four goals or whatever. And the yep. other team has, let's say their fourth line, their third defensive pairing. Let's get really extreme with this. And they ice the puck and you, your first line, your best players are on the bench. They're fresh. They're ready to go. Why don't we see more teams go, all right, well, we have this kind of competitive advantage now. Let's try to do it now and sort of hem this team in the defensive zone and see if we can create something now when they're not expecting it, as opposed to sort of waiting and really playing out the string. I guess the answer is you want to sort of delay that potential empty net goal against for as long as possible. But it does seem kind of strange and counterintuitive that you're sort of doing it when the other team knows to expect it as opposed to kind of uh, sort of sneak attack when you can jump in and create it sort of on the fly maybe even strategy wise i think you you're you're on to something and and it's it, it gets talked a, a lot about uh in in the different circles um as as high up as national league coaches and i think what you'll what you'll end up with in our game with 82 contests and the the, the slightest you know the, the locker room uh at, at all levels of hockey is volatile and and a, a decision that you know we are we're a very traditional game, and a decision like that that might be one one more move that you, you you might use up you know one of your bullets with with a key player on your team. You cost them another minus by trying to get get your team back into the game. Um, and it, it, those are realities in hockey and with 82 games and, and uh, you know, it being such a, such a passionate sport. Um, one that's very, very difficult. The players, uh, you know, the coaches can do a lot uh, out there, but the, uh, the players ultimately are, are the ones having to, you know, play on the fly and, and have to make these split second decisions. And they're the ones putting them, you know, their bodies on the line out there. I think it's, it's a, it's a really, really, uh, delicate uh, decision to make in that you can lose your room by, by making too many of those, like, you know, just trying to dabble in the, uh, um, in the experimentation process. Uh, I think that I, I do believe that you're onto something with that. I think like, say you're a, you know, a, a college coach and you've got 36 games uh, and you're not having, you're not having a good game. And I don't know enough about the pairwise, but if you're, you know, if if uh, margin of, law, of of loss doesn't doesn't play in, right? I think that you, I think you're onto something with with that idea, and I think you know it might be as simple as right off. I think off of icings at that point of, of the game, I think three or four down at uh, you know with around the 12 minute mark, and right. you're at 15 even 15 minute mark, and there's an icing. I think that's something that you're you you will see that at in the junior levels, and I think college levels, and I think as far as the National Hockey League is concerned. I mean, the media is all over NHL guys. There's another spot that you know you're uh, you've only got so many bullets, depending, especially in certain markets that you have to be you have to be careful with. Uh, or at least, I shouldn't say careful. You need you need to be very calculated with your with your uh, with your decisions in those spots, and then be be ready to to take on because uh, if you if you're going to do something like that, it's it's outside the box. You. Uh, best be prepared to uh, to answer all questions and um, you know be ready be ready for the media as well. Well, yeah, it, it's sort of some like um, obviously if you don't pull your goalie or if, you, or if you wait and then do it late or whatever, no one's going to be like, kind of questioning it that much because you can be like, oh, you know, I, I believed in our team's ability to create here and I wanted to give them a chance without worrying about the empty net. Whereas opposed to if you pull your goalie early and you have a, a random bounce that winds up in the back of your net is that sort of scenario that you were outlining in your first season in the CHL. Right. All, of a sudden, all of a sudden, that's very easy to point to for, for the detractors or critics to go like, oh, there we go. What a bad coaching decision. If only he hadn't done that, maybe his team would have had a chance to claw their way back into this. It's of similar reminds me of like with baseball when defensive shifts started first happening and then like mm-hmm. a guy a, def- a defender would be in a different place where the p- uh, pitcher maybe wasn't 
expecting them to be over time and then all of a sudden like a random dribbler would go through there and wind up being a hit that wouldn't have otherwise been and obviously fans and pitchers are freaking out about it and complaining about how the shift's ruining the game and it's sort of a similar thing where it's like it's a lot easier to identify one thing even if the risk reward balance is is favoring being a bit more aggressive well you know if it was uh, Nightingale, uh, Jared, uh, not Jared. Uh, we have Jared working for head working for us there at the at the program. Um, his brother Adam there and uh, uh, with Buffalo, I believe it's it's Adam. My mind's racing on me a little bit here, but uh, did a presentation one time on analytics and um, you know as far as really any sport on the planet is particularly the four major ones, and then let's throw. Let's throw football or soccer into that mix as well, because uh, if you're talking about a you know worldly sport, then mm-hmm. you're um, you, you best you best be in there. And hockey is is the the most amount of luck out of any of those uh, sports involved. It's not even close. Yep. You know the, how pucks can bounce off of shin pads or flip up over over a stick, and it, you know at at that juncture of the of the game, say you're. Um, you know, you've got three minutes left uh, in a, in a in a tight game, one goal game, and you, and you remove your goalie from the uh, from his net. You're, I, I guess, you're putting yourself at at uh, at the man advantage. But you're, you know, one one of those lucky bounces or unlucky in that case, and uh, your game's your game's over. Um, for all intents and purposes, and so, you know, I guess uh, at that point, you're, you're um, you know, if it's it's just it's just a very risky move. I say I feel to pull the goalie, um, you know, outside of two minutes. I think you, you want to give your you want to give your team the, the most opportunity. You believe in your players to get the job done. Uh, you, you're confident in your schemes. You're you know that if we press the right way, you're you know you're going to get guys down to the net front and you're gonna you know something's gonna open up with your um you know with the tenacity of of your guys wanting to win and the other team trying to protect a little bit you know you weigh those those things and uh and i think there's it's just a it's just a combination of of those items i think that um they kind of you know in really you know would keep keep me away from pulling the goaltender um much outside of that two minute mark that's true. Although I guess you could argue, like if you, uh, if your best, while well, your best player is on the ice, and you have an extra player as well compared to the opposition, if you can't keep control of the puck and uh, do something with it, or at least make them kind of stress a little bit and get some sustained pressure, then you probably have some bigger, bigger issues. But okay, so here's another question for you. Then, um, what are you guys doing with um, your power play sets this year in terms of formations? Were you guys running more traditional three forward two defenseman sets or were you or have has the trickle down effect from the nhl really taken hold in terms of with most teams now running uh kind of more modern four forward one defenseman sets yeah we would uh we would dabble in in a lot of different sets uh we had six six different sets um for the players and they were all we practiced it pretty often because we knew that we had a uh, a slew of of guys that were you know slated for the first round that that needed to get those that deserved to get those premier uh, minutes on the power play. So we wanted to make sure that other guys weren't getting left at the wayside. Um, and we, so we we did practice it quite often. So players players became regulated uh, with with what was expected at in each position with within our power play structure. And uh, it, it, a lot of times, you know, pretty much all the way until the very end, we would, we would throw out random players um, at, at different spots. And a, a lot of times you're going to, you were going to see Cole uh, either in that, you know, Ovechkin spot off the backside or in the, on the bumper spot um, where he'd be a primary shooter. But, you know, as far as like Zegris and, and Hughes and where they would set up and where they would run, run the power plays from Turcotte and revolved around. He'd be a net front guy. He'd be a half wall guy. Uh, there's a lot of different players that, that saw time at different spots. And um, I've, I felt like, uh, you know, when, when, it, when push came to shove, we had one unit that had four, four forwards and then one, one defenseman, and then we had another unit that had uh, had three four or three yeah three forwards, and then uh, and two D, and we actually um, we activated the defenseman to kind of move into the more of a more of a forward uh, dominated spot, and I think that's kind of a luxury uh, that we have, you know, with the assembling some of the most talented players. Is you're gonna you're gonna get some defensemen that have a really really uh, you know high end uh, skill set and are able to you know kind of kind of, kind of display attributes that a forward might be able to. 
Hmm. So, I mean, obviously, I think uh, over the past couple of years, uh, people like myself and analysts have, have put a lot of time uh, with public work into sort of trying to identify stuff like this, like the advantages of having four forwards, sort of uh, this east-west passing across the Royal Road, setting up behind the net mm-hmm. and working that kind of low to high action. And, and so... We've spent a lot of time because it's very easy to sort of identify like, oh, if you improve your power play, you're going to increase your goal production by X amount and that'll lead to a certain amount of wins. The less kind of glamorous thing to talk about is penalty kills and the other area of special teams. And that's something I'm really interested in now because... I want you to answer this for me as a coach. Would you... Like, the idea... Why... I'm trying to phrase this. How, why do teams not experiment more with using three forwards on a traditional uh, four-man power play set, penalty kill set? Sorry. Well, the primary goal of the, of the kill is to is to yeah, absolutely that. I mean, there that's a traditionalist mindset, um, but, but one that I agree with. You've got to you've got to kill that thing off. Like that's you hop those boards, and so you're putting out your two you know, most sturdy defensemen uh, mm-hmm. to start off. And then, and you're putting out the, the two forwards that you feel are going to be able to play in the trenches and, uh, you know, win the draw and, and get that thing 200 feet. And if they lose it, then they're going to, they're going to be able to be quick, reactive uh, with really good sticks. And they're going to be regimented in in all, all facets of, uh, of gritty play, you know, where their landmarks, the different, you know, you're going to, we're going to reverse them in all, all the different uh, the, the tendencies of the other team. And that's going to be their job. Job, um, you know, to be aware of that. Now, I think where where you could be, you know, um, you know, onto something again is I think you you want to you would have to time it perfectly, uh, and this is this is achievable. But somewhere around like the fifty five second or, or minute five mark, where the other team, if you're if you're confident that they're a two minute power play. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to they're starting to tire out. Maybe they've they've already had to break out once or twice. Maybe they've had a couple really hard battles that and never got a shot on net. And you know, but they they were keeping on the yellow and having to chip it around. And they're maybe even a little bit frustrated. And you know that they're going to stay out there and they and they're going to probably push for for another opportunity. At that point, if you wanted to start getting aggressive, and that's where. That's where we would utilize players like Hughes and Caulfield is when, you know, in those spots. And, um, like say, you know, we've had, we had numerous, uh, shorthanded opportunities and a few goals by, by strategically getting Turcotte and Boldy out there, um, you know, in those around that 45, 55 second mark where, you know, the other team's starting to wear down just a little bit and you put two of your most skilled hounds out there and, mm. and then they, they go and make something happen off of it. And, uh, you know, you, you, when you, when you start putting your, you know, your best players out there, you do, you do run the risk of, of giving up, uh, you know, a, a five on three. And we, we have done that before. And, it, it, and, uh, I remember at the, it was at the worlds, we gave up basically a, a two on O. Uh, it was, it was with Cole and Jack and, I think it was Cole that saw the opportunity to go and it wasn't a bad read. And, uh, you know, we were up, we were up in the game, so it wasn't, it wasn't the end of the world, but, um, certainly in a, you know, in, in various spots, it's, it, you're, you're getting your chips in and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you better, you, you better hope the right, the right, uh, the right hand, uh, hits when you're, you know, you, you, when you double down. So, um, but you know, there, there's definitely times I think to, 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 to risk on the PK. I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I just three forwards. I still, I still like to think that, you know, you got, um, you know, you look at, you look at Carlo and the scoring that, uh, that, that shorty for, for St. Louis and the, with, with all the skill development that goes on and, and, and the more and more that you'll, you'll see it. Uh, we work so much on, you know, offhanded one timers with our D men for those exact situations. There's even strong side, like things that you're, that the D might see as a forward. Right. We're putting them into those, into those skill spots all the time. And I, I think that's something that, you know, that there's NHL teams that, that are, I think are progressive in that area. And there's, you know, we go to being, being right downtown Detroit, you've got the ability to be able to go and, and watch practices uh, day before games or morning skates, and uh, to to see how teams practice and to see what they work on for skill. 
some of it is is still antiquated, and some of it is is very progressive, and and things that work, you know, that, well, I, that I think are progressive, and uh, um, you know, things that we're that we're trying to work on it with our with our young players. So, um, I, I like I like your thought, though. I mean, that's that's a that's a, an observation, and a pretty keen one. That uh, you know, there's there are opportunities out there for offense, and well, uh, you know, you just got to be ready to to, to you know. To uh, take the take the consequences if you if you go for it. Well, I think that's I think that's a great point that you make there about sort of the uh, the positional delineation where it's like I think maybe. 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was much more black and white in terms of like positional requirements and sort of the skill sets players would have. And it's like, you know, you had much more like kind of like that traditional conservative, like stay at home defenseman who just block shots. And, and so you wouldn't expect those guys to jump up in the rush and create if the opportunity arises. Whereas now a lot of these defensemen are just as good at skating and creating as some forwards out there. And so, um, in that case, it might not be as big of an advantage. I was just thinking like when I watch certain penalty kills, I can't think of any off the top my head right now maybe like uh the coyotes early in the year or the hurricanes over the years i whenever i see the, like the, my favorite or best penalty kill it's these ones that uh play a more uh sort of tenacious aggressive style in their own zone when they're defending on the penalty kill where and i think if you're on an opposing power play and you're you would love to be able to sort of just set up unbothered in your office especially if you're the shooter on from like the left circle and you just kind of wait Oh, and hang man. out like that's probably your bread and butter you're licking your lips at that i think what you don't want to deal with is guys who are constantly kind of limiting your time and space and getting up in your business and trying to get the puck away from you and having active sticks and so you could obviously pull that off with two forwards and two defensemen. but i just think of like if you have the more forwards you have out there and you sort of just let them loose to just be absolute hounds and chase the puck and try to create deflections and get into passing lanes and then create the other way against uh, opposing attackers that aren't used to skating backwards and defending i feel like there's obviously a risk reward there and it's situational and maybe it depends on the certain personnel you have but it seems like something that is just kind of written off or hand waved um in a lot of nhl circles is like well we've always just done it a certain way so we're not going to try it and as it's adapted with four forwards one defenseman on the power play i just think there's going to be a time where we're going to transition to maybe different formations and different personnel setups with a penalty kill as well it just seems kind of logical yeah and i i'm with you on the uh on the mindset with the with the uh, tenacious penalty kill particularly um at that level and you know we have to we we run a uh, kind of a kind of a you know a, a, an interesting gamut when that we have to prepare for an Olympic ice sheet and with having that extra space on the out on the outside walls there are times where you have to you do have to play it a little bit more conservatively but uh, as far as the NHL athlete is concerned and being able to uh, manipulate time and space with a with um, you know good good offensive reads uh, you know turning to defense using what getting the mind of what the offensive player where his release points are uh if you've got if you've got four players that are dedicated to the endeavor and they're you know set out with uh you know with clear instructions to back each other up and you you know you're ready to take a couple you're ready you know to to make a big mistake or two um you know i i definitely prefer it i i'm with you like i love the way the carolina uh penalty killed in the past and i and i think it's uh it's one that uh that i'm that i'm envious of and one that we we try to in, implement and i think it you know it just it gets players hunting properly it gets guys you know in the mindset and, and all you know as far as uh you know if we call it a fronting penalty kill teams that will kind of diamond and try to stay in the way of shooters and the, all you have to do is watch a, a few clips of of players like Hughes or Zegers against those fronting, you know, penalty kills, and they yeah, and they give them time and space yep. to be able. They just time, that's and 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 uh, you know, there's going to be times when when really good players beat your aggressive kill, uh, and and there you'll talk to some players are like, I love it when a guy comes rushing at me, and into a point you do, but not when not when there's not when there's uh, you know specific backup uh, to your release points as well. Like really good players that are taught well. Uh, can sniff out those release points, and and then good players don't like that because that's now you're talking about uh, you know them them being the the attacky and, instead of the attacker. 
Okay, so I'm really curious for your for your take on this one. I really want to talk about offsides and potential solutions that it drives me crazy, especially at the NHL level with some of the uh, reviews we get and some of the discussions that we wind up having and like watching these like grainies, the Pruder style films of if a guy's skate was slightly elevated or not. But you know, I, I don't know if necessarily I'd go to the absolute extreme of completely eliminating offsides. But it's funny whenever I mention that or whenever I've seen anyone talk about it online, the common pushback or refrain you get from fans is well what's going to happen if you get rid of offsides is you're going to have cherry pickers and it's going to ruin the integrity and structure of the sport and when i think you as a coach are a perfect example or or person to run this by because i imagine if a player was let's say there were no offsides and a player was cherry picking or hanging back and it wound up resulting in sustained pressure and potentially a goal against like you would probably either staple that player to the bench or, or, or buy him a first class ticket to the sun and, and just never uh, give him or you'd be very furious with him. Right. Cause it's like, it just seems like that wouldn't happen. I feel like that's sort of a concern from fans that wouldn't actually ever uh, manifest itself in on ice play. Like I, what would the concerns be beyond that really? Well, okay. Let's let's start. The, the, this conversation has has many many layers yep. to it. Would our game be better without offsides? And, and my answer um, is, I guess I'm going to answer with another question: Is does does more goals make the game better? Um. Yeah. Yes and no. It, it, it does from the perspective of obviously well, there's the highlight real plays if they're, if we're talking about those types of goals, but obviously I think also yep. there's the element of, um, lead changes are good. They make for entertainment. Like when you believe that, uh, even if you're down two or three goals early in a game that your team can generate enough offense to come back and potentially tie it up or take the lead that keeps people tuned in and it keeps people watching if we're getting to the point where there's just not enough goals where a team goes up one nothing or two nothing and it's over that is not good for entertainment value so from that perspective i do think goals are important that's fair uh and i i guess i'll just i look at it from from this perspective that if you start taking away the the emphasis on work ethic, and if you st- you know take away from um, you know some of our some of our game's true roots, I think that you're you're compromising the integrity of the game. Mm-hmm. And, and or just to just to reuse that phrase, I can't I can't envision a game where there could be somebody hanging out at the top of the blue paint while there's while there's still a, while there's a five on four going on at the other end, right. and that would be a strategy the teams wouldn't you know, implore. And I just, I just can't, I can't see it making that, making our, our sport any better. And, uh, you know, then you would, you'd, you'd need a whole, whole different strategy base. Um, and, you know, to me, I, I love, I love the offsides. I think that, uh, I think it's a great rule. I, I you know, if, if we wanted to talk about possibly, you know, shortening the blue lines. I think that that creates, you know, making it closer to the goal line, closer to the net. You would, you would create a whole new game of flux. Um, even just like three or four feet, you, you, you'd all, but you'd also take away some of the poetry that you see in the offensive zone. Um, I think, I think the game is in a, a really good space right now. I think it, as far as entertainment is concerned and, um, you know, the, the skill that we're, that's being displayed on a nightly basis, I think it's, I think the game is, is tremendous. I, I love where it's at. Um, you know, with, with one exception with the, not to, to stick with the offsides theme, just, you know, the, the idea of like, uh, you know, a, a quarter of a, of an inch of a skate off the ice right. and, and now, t- now coaches can go back. 30 seconds later and and say that the player was offsides and i just i don't get that and i think if we're gonna if we're going down the road of of being able to challenge things like that you you better be able to go back and challenge the icing call the refs missed three minutes ago before you scored too because it's like uh you know but what do you want to use a butterfly effect for a for a cliche our game is 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 so cyclical um, a poor puck drop on a face-off that costs your team possession, and they score two minutes later. Those those things count, and um, you, you should be able to go back and challenge penalties if if you don't like the penalty. If it's a trip and the guy never touched the, uh, you know, touched the, the guy tripped over his own feet, but the, it looked really bad. Well, you, you know, you better be go be able to go back. And I, you know, I'm I'm kind of I'm a believer that. Uh, in this, in that scheme, the only thing you should be you should be able to go back and check is if the puck crossed the goal line, right. and that's that's it for me. Other than that, the referees have a job to do, and um, I think I think you you you, you go with it, and um, you know the, I, the, so much controversy happens 
um, you know, with the, say, you know, this this playoff, but it, I, I can almost guarantee there was something along the lines that oh, yeah. you know that, that prevented. I mean, what, what was the uh, uh, there was there was one of the games when uh, a team ended up winning the game and they had six players on the ice right before they scored their goal. And how you should be able to go back and it was it was it was blatant six six guys. You should be able to go back and review that if you can review a, a quarter of an inch of an offside. And so yeah, there, know, that's just my, there, my thought. There was the one where. Um... Like Columbus scored, the puck like went into the netting and came back into play, and I guess the refs missed it. Yeah, there was that one. There was the glove pass, and there yep. was also too many uh, too many men one. I, I forget which team it was now because it was you know so many games uh, well, going off. The thing it, that, I mean, it, it was good. Well, the thing that gets me like in terms of the review and offsides is especially when they go back and and you review and you kind of nitpick a guy that wasn't even involved in the play. Like that stuff drives me mm-hmm. absolutely crazy. Like the the Gabriel Landeskog one from the game seven of the right. Sharks where he's like trying to get back to the bench. He's not even involved in the play at all. There's no competitive advantage for the avalanche that he's not checked, like tagged back or, or, or he's not in the, involved in the play at all. And they score and then they go back and by the letter of the law, he was offside. And so they take that goal off and the avalanche wind up losing and stuff like that is like, I'm all for getting the call right, but it's like in the spirit of the rule that seems like yeah. the offsides rule and the blue line being in place there. That's not what it's there to sort of protect or enforce. It's just kind of a an unnecessary byproduct or an unfortunate one. Well, and, and you know, you talked about uh, say protecting a lead and how how good teams are at that. Um, you know, late in games. Well, if if I'm if I'm if my team's down a goal and I, I don't like that extra stick length that the player X took on the other team uh, on his line change, mm-hmm. then at that rate, I should be able to go back and challenge that. If you can, if you can challenge all these, you know, these these inches, you should be able to go back and challenge massive uh, violations of rules. And you know, it's it's part of our game. It's it's a game of mistakes and how you react to them and. Uh, referees are a huge part of that, so uh, you know it's it's it, it's a it's a slippery slope and one that I'm I'm scared to, to see where it leads to. The reason the reason why I brought up the offsizing, I, I agree. There's like obviously unintended consequences, and, and I think the game would look different. I just I I really want to experiment with the idea of opening up the ice a bit more and however that would look in terms of like um changing the geometry a little bit so that uh there's more space to operate with and more room for creativity to shine through like one of my favorite things to watch and it's obviously a lot easier to pull off when there's only uh when it's three on three and there's only six skaters out there as opposed to 10 but like that sort of like soccer mentality of if you don't have a play open for you pass it back and sort of regroup and maybe change and get fresh skaters out there and then try to sort of probe again and attack and sometimes the game certainly um has sped up now in 2019 compared to where we were at in the past but there are certain times where i do wish like certain uh actions like that were being created as opposed to the puck just being up against the boards and guys kind of just like hammering away at it with their sticks for 90 seconds at a time yeah and i think you know you're again you're uh you're you're progressive with your thoughts there and um, you know, I really, I, I appreciate them. I just think, you know, <laughs> that they might be, they might be limited a little bit to what your, what your final taste of the season is. And, right. and of course, once, once the stakes go up in the NHL playoffs, uh, the players are, you know, it's, they're, they're, t- they're, you're talking about right around the century mark, if not like 110 after, after exhibitions, um, with their number of games they've played. I mean, they are physically, they are, they're down to their, um, you know, their last straw, they're wounded downright. I mean, there's not a guy playing in May, uh, late May and in June that's, that's, that's up to the task. So the games get, you know, they, they start to get, uh, you know, for lack of a better phrase, they get dumbed down a little bit. You're chipping in, you're chipping out, uh, you don't want to make a mistake. And I think throughout the, the norm of the regular season, you're still seeing you know, the brilliance um, and lots of playmaking on any given night. It's just, you know, there's just certain times. And I think you, you have to appreciate that some games are going to be a little bit grittier than others. Um, you know, it's kind of like a really strong... Uh, American football game where you've got a team that's got a potent offense and uh, or a couple teams that have potent offenses that you know are really uh, you know putting up big numbers in the end of final scores 60 63 to, to 50 and uh, you know then there's other games where teams don't have great offenses and they got great defenses and you know those are those are equally impressive games it's just yeah I think you know it's um, 
I, I again, I can't, I can't reiterate enough. I think our game's in a really good spot right now, and I, I don't want to see too many things get toyed with. But I, um, you know, I, I, I do like the mindset that uh, that you got with a, a number of these things. Okay, well, what about? Well, uh, maybe this is obviously a crazy one that's out there as well. But what about? Uh either not allowing or limiting the number of times a goalie can cover the puck for a face-off? Uh, you, the IHF rules are great mm. on that. I, they, they, make, they make you play the puck, and it's, it's very entertaining. I'm not sure how uh, sponsors would like that because uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, pay, they're paying some bills, yep. and there might be some times where they, where they go, uh, you go a little bit too often. Or, uh, without without a face off, but it, it, there it, it was really cool. I thought this this was uh, this IHF event, uh, the U18s, uh, was was the best that I'd seen in in that uh, capacity, where the referees just had a had a great feel for yelling. They were vocal, and and the goalies knew like, hey, I got to play this puck, and they're you know they're trying to swirl it off to the to the side and, and trying to and they're almost scooping into their own net sometimes it was those are those are times i i do agree that i i really like the way that 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 kept the game going i think there's too many um your face offs that that just are like no that that goalie should have played that puck and uh you know and i think that's that's another area where i i don't have a ton of answers as far as you know when how what uh, what the rules should be with the goalies playing the puck but i think it's a it's a very interesting one that you could delve into and make the game um continue to make the game uh you know more exciting and uh, always with that you have to put in mind though the speed of the game and and what the implications are for defensemen taking hits and i think that's something that's that's that, that is is an important thing the more goalies play the puck the, the less less guys get you know run with those at full speed so that's true that 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 is a good unintended consequence or a, a bad one but one important to think about uh i guess just the game is like when it's absolute best when it's free flowing and no stoppages yep. and you're just going back and forth and i can't remember like uh your mileage your mileage on sort of the importance of face-offs can can vary and we don't need to relitigate that right now but it's like i, I don't know anyone that's like oh man i can't wait to watch this face-off let me let me uh get my pvr going and and rewind 15 <laughs> seconds so i can see that puck drop again that was a thing of beauty it's like i think even the hot, biggest purists are like can we just like see them play and move up and down the ice that's the fun part not the uh not the yeah. battle at the circle yeah, yeah, I hear you on that one. So, um, but uh, yeah, we're, you're on, you're on, uh, you're on to something with, with that, with the uh, the free flowing and, and keeping the keeping the goalies, um, you know, moving that puck. I think is, is a very very uh, positive thing for the game. Is there anything uh, before we get out of here that like you wanted to touch on in terms of maybe something you've uh, either preliminarily started thinking about or or you saw kind of uh, someone talk about, but you know, it, it's to uh it's in its kind of infancy stage so you would never actually uh utilize it in 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 real life like is there anything that kind of comes to mind on that or are you just kind of uh i mean you clearly think that the game is is or believe that the game is where it needs to be right now and that we're maximizing all of our potential tools for like uh increasing both entertainment value but also productivity and offensive utilization and all that yeah, I, I really do feel like we're we're in a great spot. I think we've got to be careful to to not uh, not not delve too far into that into that uh, you know the instant replay. I think is that's that's my that's my my concern as even just a, you know I think as a fan um, as a coach you adjust and you're, that's what you're paid to do. But as a, as a fan of the game, uh, you uh, I, I just I just like to see that it adds it adds for drama. It adds it adds you know the, the human element and um, even with even with the uh, with instant replay, you're still going to have a lot of controversy at, at times. So, uh, you know, it's it, it's it's not a perfect science. So, no. Other than that, I mean, I'm, you know, it's uh, it's always it's always a pleasure to get on with with uh, different different minds in our game, and I, I always take something out of it. And you know, there's there's uh, very very little. It actually gets regurgitated through each through each interview once once you get into. Uh, uh, you know, with interviewers like yourself, and mm. so it's, it was. It was a blast. It was a blast being on that. Well, I'm glad we finally got to do this. Thanks for indulging me with some of my crazy ideas. And uh, yeah, I'd say enjoy your summer. But I know that uh, in, in in coaching circles, the uh, the season never really stops. The grind never never stops or subsides. So uh, enjoy your summer as much as you can. And uh, hopefully, we'll be able to chat uh, sometime down the road. I'd love to get you back on. All right, Dimitri. Take care, man. Cheers. The Hockey Pedio Cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypediocast.